Well, hey, welcome back to the Making Disciples Everyday podcast. My name is Jason Dukes, and I'm here with the good Reverend Dr. Paul Wilkinson. Excited for another good day, another good episode. So we are excited to be with you. We are in the middle of, our, our family of churches are in the middle of a series right now entitled The Big Story or The Big Story of God. And it's a focus on creation, fall, redemption, restoration. And so as we dive into and look ahead to today and even the rest of this series, every episode that's related to this series has focused on one of those. The story of creation, the story of separation, the story of redemption, and the story of restoration. And today, we're diving into the story of separation. So do you remember what text the, uh, the, uh, the, the, this particular message focused Yeah, and our, our OG text is John 1, which sort of frames out the whole thing that we heard David Hanna talk about last time. That's right. And I strongly encourage you, if you didn't listen to the previous episode, it was the architect of this series giving us some ins and outs and big takeaways that he hopes for out of this and really quality stuff. Yeah, it was really good. Uh, so, so again, we're going to be in that John 1 text each week as our framework, but the specific text is... Genesis 3, uh, I guess one of the more depressing texts in all the Bible, because you see so quickly in, in just three little chapters how everything was good, um, and probably understand that is beautiful, sublime, mm. Yeah, and, and you see the beauty of the creation and the relationship Adam and Eve had with, with God, and then now chapter 3, it's that quickly, it's all gone. Yeah. <laughs> there yeah. it goes. However long the duration was, we technically don't know. Uh, but certainly it happens quickly in terms of chapters no <laughs> in doubt. our Bible. Yeah, it's a lot like, and I'm, I'm not in any way being irreverent or even belittling it when I give this comparison. But if you're a Marvel fan, if you're a Star Wars fan, if you're a fan of any great storyteller, it it's a lot like that, right? I mean, a, a movie typically or a great story doesn't start off with, you know, 17 and a half chapters of... This is how wonderful things were. Like, you know, it's, it's, it, it dives into, hey, this is the setting. This is what's about. Here are the characters. Here's the issue, right? Here, here's what really befalls, no pun intended. Yeah. And, and I think we see the same thing in the way that God inspired his story as the scriptures recorded. Here. For sure. And it's a slow, frustrating climb uh, to get to the incarnation through ascension of Christ which things are cosmically set right but then we still live in this yeah in this moment which we'll talk about this still cursed world for now uh, well, we'll certainly dive into that theology today um, and then just you know riding into revelation waiting on that on that new creation take as many people as we can get for real uh, in, into the family I'm probably excited about this study in this set of sermon series because I think this is a key framework for how we ought to read the entire Bible. Yeah. I think the biblical, or let's say it this way, I think a key biblical category for the believer is God's presence or not God's presence. Yeah. And I think that's what the Bible's after. I mean, we see it in Jeremiah. We see it in Revelation 20. Um, New Jerusalem comes down. God, these are going to be my people. I'm going to live with and amongst them. And we see all these mini spirals of the same thing. Yeah. So we have the grand story yep. of the creation of the universe, the creation of humanity, 
the fall here that we're going to talk about today with the curse, see the redemption in Christ, and then the fulfillment and revelation of the um, corporate resurrection. But then we have so many little mini cycles of that. Yeah. We have uh, the prominence moving from Abraham to Joseph. And then after some years, they don't recognize Joseph anymore. And now the Israelites are in oppression. Yeah. They cry out and Moses redeems them. So it's like a uh, a redemption there and a new creation as we're going to go into the promised land. But, oh, wait a minute. The first generation rebelled. So there's a new curse. And now we wander in the wilderness. And then, uh, oh, there's a redemption through Joshua. Now we're going to take the promised land. And yeah. I mean, you're only in the land for such a short time and then to fall again and then to fall again. So you just get these same mini spirals, just mini versions yep. of creation, separation, redemption, restoration. Yep. And we just anxiously await the the big cosmic one, the big universal one. No, it's, I agree. I agree completely. And I think it's a, I think it's from a making disciples standpoint, it's interesting because you you really do have to reckon with the idea that every facet of the story, the gospel, the good news that we're telling, the context of that good news is this is is kind of this epic sabotage. <laughs> yeah. Right? I mean yeah. it, it's it's almost this idea of God in his love couldn't sit still. Anyone who loves has to give. Mm-hmm. Anyone who loves has to create. Anyone who loves, and and I'm not saying that about humanity. I'm saying we reflect that. Mm-hmm. Like That's so, right. any aspect yeah. of yep. of humanity reflects that nature of God that does those things. Love compels, right? And so, in that idea, here's God making His beloved, making humanity. And, and for whatever, we don't fully understand. We don't know all of those aspects of the story of this evil one that we, at least from the text, we can see that he was an angel. Right. Um, but for some reason, this angel decides to go after the beloved of God, but almost really not so much go after them. I think we're traumatized and a casualty of someone going after the loving, a loving father and questioning the goodness and the love of that father. Would you agree? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you read the creation story and it's humanity that's made in the image of God. That's the prized possession. Um, I really like, I don't buy into all, so here's your theological term for the day, <laughs> the, all of the functional creation of John Walton. But I think John Walton, Professor Wheaton, rightly talks about creation as God's temple. Yeah, and then creates Adam and Eve as priest and priestess over that temple to yeah. steward it, and and when you think about it in the in that context, and now the serpent comes in, and draws the priest away from the priestly duties of loving, um, the Lord through you know through what He's done, you do see this attack on God. Well, and you hit on people. A, yeah, you hit on a point, and you you may, I'm I don't know if you'll agree or disagree with me on what I'm about to say. I really don't. Usually I, both. <laughs> that is usually how we work. But but I I look at all of this and I I think okay I've heard preachers in the South especially as I was growing up I heard preachers who would make statements like your sin separates you from God he cannot come near to you and your sin and you cannot go near to him yeah and that's not just deep South Louisiana it's deep South South Carolina where yeah. I'm from yeah yeah I heard I mean that's that's what I grew up on too and and I I always 
I would read John. Or at least John. that's what I heard. Let yeah. me not well, and, and blaspheme my pastors who were great men, but that's what I heard. Yeah, and by the way, my dad, who was my pastor for a little while, I didn't hear that from him necessarily. I didn't hear him articulate it that way. But if any time I was around other preachers, evangelists, people that were coming into the various church settings where we were, I would hear that ideology and I'm probably going to be criticized for it, but I, I struggled with that growing up. And here's why. Because anytime I would read John, I would go, well, wait a second. If he can't come near to me, mm-hmm. then why? How, how does John 1.14 even get written, mm-hmm. right? How do these verses, verses 10 through 13, that this whole series is built on, how do they even get pinned down onto a scroll, Right, I mean, what's the idea of a, of the Word become flesh and dwelling among us? I mean, the, that whole idea flies in the face of the, the the aspect of only telling the story of how my sin makes a situation where God can't come near to me. That's wrong. Yeah, and what if? Well, a just it's not biblical. But I would even say Hebrew Bible wise. Is, is not biblical. I mean, we see Cyrus sent to redeem the people. We see Nehemiah raised up to rebuild the temple. I mean, it's, it's almost always God initiated yeah. on these things. But secondly, and I say this particularly for the men out there, because I think we struggle with it more probably, is that we end up with a transactional faith with God. That's right. It's that if God can't get to me in my sin, then I need to clean my sin up, yep. make this transaction in exchange with God so that he can accept me. Yeah. And it plays right into the male psyche of there's no way God could love me if I don't have a set of check boxes to demonstrate his earn. Because yep. one day he'll betray me yeah. and I need that piece of paper that says, look at all I've done for you, Lord, you can't, you can't leave me. And that, that's just not the Bible. I the agree. Bible is how do we know Christ loved us while we were yet sinners? That's right. We were saved. I mean, that's the biblical message It's precisely your dirtiness that warrants the God-man coming. Yeah, I mean, and Paul, not the other way about. That's exactly right. And Paul writes in Romans four, four and five. He says he talks about how it's 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 uh, God has made the ungodly godly. It's, it's he's given his right, his right and his righteousness to the wrong, right? And and we and so in and in, all, in essence, verse five is it is he says that in verse four. In verse five, he basically says, "So do you believe that?" Right, like, because he credits with righteousness those who believe that, yeah. and I think I think it's this idea that's where the gospel becomes so transformational in our lives when we start realizing I don't have to make my way back to God, and here's why this matters to me so much because because I'm not just trying to press this point you know in in some let's be different kind of way, but. I, I really genuinely believe it affects disciple making because when I any especially like I you, you know I teach up at Belmont sometimes and not all the students that I teach are followers of Jesus and 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 any time I engage with them and, and it's it's often any time that we get to have a coffee together or a lunch together or a chance to talk even outside the classroom because they want to talk more about faith one of the major ideas that they battle with and they push back against is just the idea that, well, why did he make the two trees in the first place? And why did he separate us from him? And why can't he come near to us? And how are we ever going to... And it's always this ideology that's been kind of pushed 
but it's misinformed. It's misinformation. Right. It's in today's modern terms, it's fake news, right? And so it's it it's what it is. And and I think it's always having to pull them back into the real story. Mm-hmm. And I I think that's what we're trying to do here to say in this series to say God God had to do something in removing them from the garden so that that would not last forever. And you see that in the Genesis 3 text. He says, let's go down and remove them. They put an angel with a big fiery sword. Mm-hmm. And he says, so that they will not eat of the tree of life and live forever. Yeah. Right. In this state. That's right. And I think that's the key phrase, in this state. That's right. So it's not like God couldn't have stopped them. In oh, no way question. God wanted to stop them. No question. It's that the the idea of an eternal cursed state of separation from God and attending towards sin is not the intent and is not the culmination. Yeah. And and God saved us from that from that reality. That's right. And this idea, like what was, and so I think the other question I typically get in intera- interacting uh, with those students, <clears throat> and I wonder if you get similar questions. The other question that I get is typically, um, so what was the evil one up after anyway? Like what what was the evil one really trying to accomplish? when it comes to stepping into that garden with Adam and Eve. And and we won't even go to the questions they talk about was, do you think that was really literal? We'll save that for mm-hmm. the immersion conference, which we can plug here in just a minute. But all that to say, like, like I, I, that's a valid question. Mm-hmm. And it's an important question yeah. in understanding the big story of God. Yeah, and so I've never been asked it that explicitly by my students, but they ask the same family of questions, yeah. which is what we're getting after here is God's love and God's justice. And how do these two things come together? So why isn't God stopping the pain? That's right. Right? Um, so that's, does God love me if he's allowing all of this? Yeah. But then we have on the other side, well, I know God can't tolerate this either. That's right. And how do I really reconcile those? And I think we live in a cultural um, a cultural whirlwind right now where justice is such a buzzword and I don't know that I've ever actually heard anyone define it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and so it's like, we're, we're all fighting for this thing and all chasing this thing that nobody actually quite knows, quite knows what it is. And it's sort of a disturbing thing when you think about it. And, and I, I feel that tension in my students. And then that's a big chunk of what we wrestle with, no matter what part of the Bible they start with. Yeah. We almost always end up in that sort of discussion. Yeah. And why not? Another big question you just hit on it is, so why isn't God just fixing it? Yeah. Why does the pain still go on? Why this, so this separation element, this fall, why does the pain still go on? Why are the hungry children still dying? Why is exploitation right. so significant? Why, and you can go on and on and on and talk about all the injustices. Yeah. And, and I think what we have to be honest about <clears throat> is that the gospel that we all are proclaiming, it's, it sits in the context of this idea that the evil one was out to traumatize, to make a casualty of the beloved of God. And in doing so, he's made us all um, unwillingly and unwittingly aware of how evil evil really is and how evil we ourselves can be. To me, that's the element of the story, the knowledge of good and evil that's so huge. And any Jewish storyteller who would tell a story like this because it was oral for so long, the way they would pass it down from generation to generation. Any of those ancient Jewish storytellers who would tell this these ancient Genesis-type stories that before they were pinned down, 
you know they were they were really drawing in the people that they were telling these stories to to get them to understand all we knew was God's goodness. Mm-hmm. And then all of a sudden we knew the evil that we all were yeah. capable of. And of course the epitome of that evil is we see when, when Christ dies. Yes. Uh, we see the fullness of, of his innocence there, enduring sin and and, and dying to redeem his people. Um it's a it's a difficult thing, and I think so. What we call that in, in the philosophical and apologetic circles is the experiential problem of evil. Mm, yeah. So there's what's called the deductive or um, conceptual problem of evil. So if God's all powerful, why not stop it? If God's all loving, He should want to stop it. Yeah. Yet we have evil. So luckily, our, our friend Alvin Plantinga killed that one for us, <laughs> and we don't technically ought not have to worry about it. But we still hear it. Sure. But then there's a move to this experiential problem of yeah. evil, where where the professional philosopher and apologists argue that, okay, conceptually we can buy that there's reasons for God to allow evil. But in light of the amount of evil we see, the yeah. kinds of evil right. that we see, and the seeming meaninglessness of the evil we see, is very unlikely that your God exists. So there's a shift from can't to unlikely. Right. And that has a rhetorical power on people. And I think we got to know the word in two ways. One is we got to understand Peter's teaching hmm. that God's delay, even in the horrors of it, is to our benefit. Yeah. More people are getting saved. Yep. We're getting a bigger family out of it. Yep. And and one of the beauties... Which I think is God's intent. You got it. Sure. And then one of the beauties of this sermon series is that we are going to elevate the resurrection of Christ in redemption. Yeah. And in that, we see the down payment, not that sin is good and not that evil is good, but that evil does not win. And that's evil right. cannot overcome God's goodness. Yeah. So that's the down payment and the evidence of why we can endure all these horrors. And, and the Christian ought to admit it. And I think the Christian is the one that ought to have a problem with it. Yes. I mean, if you're an atheist who don't believe in God, what do you care? Yeah. Really? I mean, honestly, you know, whether I die today or die in 20 years, it's largely irrelevant in the grand scheme <laughs> sure. of history. You know? Sure, at, le- at least in all of the 10. Yeah. If you take that philosophy right. yeah. and way of thinking to its full It's the Christian end. that has a problem. That's exactly because right. Because we see the goodness of God, and we are the ones that ought to be angry about it. That's right. And yet the Holy Spirit, um, you know, does his work yep. through, through it all. Yeah. Incredible. Well, and I, you hit on something there I think that's so vital as we talk about this 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 story of creation and mm. the fall and redemption and restoration, this big story of God, uh, you know, when you think about, so why isn't, why aren't, why isn't that experience of evil just yeah. ended if God really is real and really is loving and really yeah. is, right? And I think, and and here's a simple answer to it that's just kind of blunt and honest yeah. because the seeds of that evil are now in all of us. Mm. Yep. That's a good answer. And Jesus tells that story. I think it's in Matthew 13 when he tells the story of the farmer who plants the field. Mm-hmm. The evil one comes in and puts weeds among it. And the workers say, well, let's take all the weeds. Let's just, we'll go in and take all the weeds out. And the farmer says what to them? No, we can't do that. Yeah. Because if we take all the That's weeds right. out, we would also be taking all the weed out. We would destroy the crop. Yeah, destroy we the have harvest. to wait until a harvest time comes. We'll take it out yeah. together. And we'll separate it. Yep. And and that's not a moralistic story. This is the story of the yep. this that is a window into the cosmic story that Jesus is giving them there. Yeah. And and what I what I think is so important for us to understand, this is the hard part of the good news. That's right. 
And the hard part of the good news is that I am more capable of evil than I ever want to admit. Because of the seeds that are in me of it. That knowledge of good and evil, not just of God's goodness, that knowledge is incredibly self-destructive. And not only self-destructive, but even compels many of us to become destructive in other people's lives. Right. And then the good news of the good news That's exactly is it. that in spite of all that, That's God's right. redeeming his people. And we see it in, again, the evil enacted upon Christ was the very redemption for many. And we also see it now. It's a sad state and commentary on the human condition that you've just articulated so well is that the gospel really follows persecution. Yes. It's the people that are oppressed and persecuted where we see the gospel most flourishing and the most spiritual vitality. It's in those places where people get complacent and comfortable yep. where we see spiritual vitality dying. That's right. And so, again, we just see the the beauty of God's weaving in the midst of all that suffering, he's just perpetually reconciling and adding new family members and you, to the kingdom. And, and you know one of the hot buttons I'm passionate about, so you'll laugh at me saying what I'm about to say. I would even give the adverse part of that story and say it's in the areas where people are contrite and confessional mm-hmm. that it's flourishing. It's in the areas where we think we're fine. Oh, yeah. yeah. We think we're good. Yep. We, we, we think the you know, in fact, I would even go so far as to say we've been duped by Satan to believe that the purpose of Christianity is for me to be a good human. And, and, and the bottom line is, although my goodness ought to show and reflect the goodness of God, and that's the part of sanctification mm-hmm. where my beliefs begin to shape fully my values and my behavior— that element of God's spirit at work in me that comes out of me, I get that part of it. Yeah. But it's really about God's goodness. That's right. Yeah. It's not about my goodness. Nope. And I think I think that element of it, that's where we fall asleep so often. That's where I think even this idea in the in the Genesis three story, I think from a disciple making standpoint, it's incredibly important that we help people understand it isn't just that my sin now makes me in a place where God can't come near to me. If that were the case, then how could he be Emmanuel? Mm -hmm. What it is, is that that sin, what the evil one did has traumatized me. I can't even think straight. The seeds of evil are so ingrained in me and the effect of what it's done to all of us are so involved in our, even our thinking that our thinking, which is what repentance right. is about, mm-hmm. right? It's a rethinking is, is what the etymology of that word is. It's almost like I've got to reimagine the goodness of God in light of these injustices and recognize the restoration right. that he's up to. Yeah. So Emmanuel, like you say, God with us. That's right. It's hard to reconcile that if God can't come near me in my, in my filth. But in your brilliance... You also gave a good segue. So I, I want to read I want to read some of this text to us because you use two key words there. Satan duped and Satan presented this trauma. And that's precisely what happens in the text. And that's yep. a really good framework for it. So I'm going to read, um, uh, maybe just read all of it. Because we want to see the duping in the beginning, but we also want to see God's grace right. in the end. That redemption is always on the heels yep. of this separation. That's right. Because God perpetually chases us. That's exactly right. And wants to dwell with us. You got it. That's right. Genesis 3, verse 1. Now the serpent was more crafty. So there's your dupe. 
um, than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Hmm. So that was it. The whole universe broken. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and I, I think I, every time... Let me, uh, let me, I'll be honest. I wish that every single time I read that text, I felt the weight of it. Because even, it doesn't matter. I, I, I really mean that. I believe this with all my heart. If you're out there and you're a skeptic okay. and you look at the story and go, one dude, one woman, really? Like, or you question all the facets of right. literalness, as some people would say, and all. Even if that's you, it's still the story of humanity. That's right. Yeah. Even if that's you, it's still the story of how someone was in a place where they didn't feel like they were seeing everything for what it was, thought maybe they were being left out on the outside, and how the evil one prays and plays on that. And, and how it wrecks not only the one who took that fruit, but all that she shared it with. And that's not a statement about male and female. We're not getting there. That's not mm-hmm. the, it, the bottom line, it's the story of humanity's desire to know more than God's goodness. Yeah. And to understand or to think, man, there must be more than just dwelling with him and the evil one pushing that thought mm-hmm. to say, hey, there is more. Yeah. He's, he's holding out on you. He's yep. not he's as good as he you. thinks. Yep. He's not as good as you, as he says, he's not loving. Like he says, he's not, you know, and, and that's the, that's the eva element of what he's trying to convince us yeah. of. Yeah. And that's the duping that definitely brings the trauma. And I love the contrast of Adam sewing together these fig leaves and how just <laughs> pathetic that must've been. Sure. And then you go down to verse 20 uh, in 21, and you see that the Lord God made for Adam and his wife garments of skin and clothed them. Mm. That God is always redeeming and making better the sort of pathetic attempts we have to clean ourselves. Oh, man. And, and that's just, what happens in discipleship. And just the mercy of that. Mm-hmm. Right? Like he made them to be naked together and vulnerable and mm-hmm. intimate and close and confident and secure. And, you know, we can go on and on. He made them in that way. Yeah. And yet in his mercy... Here he is uh, making them close near the end. That's right. And in terms of the disciple making is what we do. Mm-hmm. We take all these things that are like fig leaves to try to bring ourselves closer to God. Yeah. When God has made these wonderful garments and it's just saying, just put them on. Yeah. Just put them on. It's going to be all right. And yeah. I'll help you with spiritual eyes. See what you need to do. I'll give you spiritual power yeah. to do what you need to do. That's good. It's just, well, I think man. as I think as we wrap this up, I think one thing that's we want always we're trying this year to really give energy in the last part to just encourage you out there if you're an equipper if you're someone 
that's a that's a leader with a church family who's trying to equip people for disciple making. Um, I've got one takeaway that's that's on the brain here, but Paul, what? Well, I get to what do are, my takeaway first. Yeah, you you go first this time. What's the oh, takeaway man. that you might say to an equipper? Hey, in the context of this yeah. element of the story, think about this. Yeah, I, I would say it's a, it's two sides of a single coin, is expectations and patience, and they go together. Yeah, and we got to have the proper expectations that we are in a broken world. Hmm. A cursed world. Yeah. And just like we see the people of Israel in these constant cycles of creation, separation, uh, redemption, and restoration, so too the disciples we're making are going to go through those cycles. Yeah. And so too are we going to be perpetually in those cycles. So God was patient to bring about Messiah and just all the work that went into the royal lineage of birthing Christ just when he did in the um, the Hellenizing, so making Greek of all the world at that time, so that there's a common language for the New Testament to be written in. That's right. God was just so patient in bringing about Christ and has been so patient since Christ in redeeming people after people. So as we're making disciples have appropriate expectations that mm-hmm. you're not in control and you can't force it, That's right. and that we're in a cursed world, so things are going to spiral, but the goal is to spiral progressively upwards. And that's where we got to have the patience to walk with people. And it's my conviction of my own sin that keeps me patient. Whenever I begin to get impatient, the Holy Spirit pricks me and says, how patient was I with you? How many times was I patient with you? And it just level sets me. It's good. It's really good. And my my suggestion to those equippers out there would be this. I'll, I'll unpack it. But the simple version of it is equip for disciple making with a with an awareness of what the evil one was out to get and to do and what God himself is out to do. And Jesus sums it up in John 10.10. 10. He says, hey, I came that you might have life. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? So here, here's a practical, two practical examples of that. One, from on the, on the thief side, as you're equipping get people to stop thinking you just use the word expectation get people to stop at saying this kind of statement in their thinking about themselves and other people don't say anymore i can't believe you did that <laughs> yes yeah right you you yeah. knew better i can't believe yeah. you did that like yeah. get parents to stop saying that to their kids get Get us to stop saying it to ourselves. Mm. Challenge that thinking. Because if you really have caught the gospel story, you know good and well why someone did that. It isn't that you can't believe that they, you know good and well why they did that. And, and, and so stop that, right? Like, Mm -hmm. like instead, instead equip for the idea of, I know why I did that. Mm -hmm. And I know how I can be contrite. By God's grace, I know how I'm allowed to come to him now and confess. It isn't that you're separated from him and he's separated from you in the sense that you, no, no, he has come to us and said, I want you to dwell with me and we can walk close and confess and, and believe and be grateful. And so stop with this idea of, I can't believe you did that. You should have known, but no, 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 let go of that, right? 
And then on the on the life giving element of of God of Jesus saying, "I came that you might have life," and what God the Father's intent was in all of this, I, I come back full circle to what you said earlier. He wants to dwell with us. Mm-hmm. And what you said, the Wheaton professor said, I think is absolutely true yeah. that that from the very beginning and all the way to the very end of the story, it's God saying, I, I made you to be my dwelling. I am with you. I named my son that, right? Like like this idea, and I think, I think it's so important as an equipper that you help people understand, you don't now have to do something to end that separation. And and you might say, well, Jace, we don't teach that. We teach that the cross bridges that separation. Okay, let me just push back a little bit. I get it that the cross bridges because Jesus initiated the reconciliation. I get that. But you better as an equipper recognize that you have a ton of folks that are part of your church family who still think they have to do something before they can even put a foot on that bridge. Mm-hmm. Wake up to that yep. and help them understand, no, 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 no. He actually is waiting for you to come to that bridge and put a foot on it. That's a dirty foot. Yep. And just like what you said, if we're not accepting them in their messiness with, I can't believe you did that, why would they think God should right. accept them in their messiness? That's exactly right. Think all the horrors that we are. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. I think it's super important. Well, we mentioned earlier the immersion conference that's coming up. Yeah. Let's let's talk about that for a minute. Uh, we've got a guest coming. The emergent the purpose of the immersion conference, if I understand it correctly, Paul can and can correct me in my explanation here. But the purpose of it, the way I've heard Roger Severino talk about it, is it's the idea of hey, we've got some different things that we do that are, you know, in in a, in an element of here's kind of early on. I'm young in the faith. I'm growing in my faith. I'm I'm and 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 we've got some other elements of let's teach some things that people are really going to take and wrestle with some ideas of Christ and culture or some more in depth biblical background concepts or some more like really go into a place where we're saying okay if this is something you're interested in here's a moment where we're offering that for you. And this immersion conference kind of gives us that opportunity, right? Is that? Yeah, I would say it's exactly that. Um, And that's why he calls it, or whoever came up with the name, I've always just given Roger credit for it. Uh, (laughs) But it's immersion, diving under the water. The little logo is a guy with scuba gear on. Yeah, like diving deep. Yeah, going beneath the Mm -hmm. waters. And that's what we want to do with our theology, our understanding of the scriptures, worldview, how do we engage the culture, Yeah, all of this to take us a little deeper. So we try to bring in experts in their fields to help us walk through some of these issues. Yep. So, for example, culturally, we had Russell Moore here. Mm-hmm. Uh, we had Gabe Lyons yep. most recently talk about how to engage the culture, ethics, some of that. We had Wyma for biblical studies, George Guthrie, mm-hmm. very prominent um, um, biblical scholar. Absolutely. Uh, just to help us go a little bit deeper, to challenge us, provoke us, and then hopefully encourage us yeah. to be about the work of disciple-making. That's good. And so this this year, if 2020, this episode is in... Uh, February of 2020, if you're listening to it later down the road, I think it's end of the month, end of the month, right? And and Paul's trying to find the all the, the facts on it. Um, we want to make sure and get those straight. But it's end of this month. It's here on the Brentwood campus. And it is Dr. John Wyma, right? Is that? that's Jeff. I'm sorry. I apologize to Dr. Wyma on that. But it's Jeff Wyma. It's coming in and going to focus on Revelation 2 and 3. 
if I understand correctly. Yeah, that's right. Yep. The letters to the seven churches mm-hmm. titled as something like seven sermons. Yeah. The church needs to hear, meaning the church global as Bible believers and mm-hmm. framing it in the context of those seven letters. And he takes tours, if I understand again, his background. He does a lot of even going to modern day Turkey into that circle of those seven cities that are being written to there and teaches about it. And so it's going to be really a neat time. And I, and and so we hope you'll be a part of it. You can find information about it on the website, but here's some of the details of it. So February 28 and 29, uh, I'll just read you the exact description. February 28, 29, so that's a Friday night and a Saturday morning is when it actually happens. Mm-hmm. Dr. Jeff Wyman, noted scholar, author, and professor, will be here to talk about Jesus's letters or sermons to the seven churches in Asia Minor from Revelation 2 and 3. Um, so it's going to be Friday evening. I think it begins at 7. Okay, I think that's right. Uh, probably going to run till 9 or 9.30. We usually do a Q&A time at the end. So whatever Dr. Wyman stirs up, I mean, we yeah. want to let it rip at the end. He can so handle it. So drink coffee late that day. <laughs> that's right. Maybe even a Red Bull. And then back on Saturday morning. Yeah. So even if you can't come to both of them, come to one of them. Yeah. Um, you know, I've heard Jeff Wyman speak a number of times. Um, go to his website. I can't remember the exact um, link to his website, but just do a general Google search for Jeff, Jeff Wyma, a New and Testament scholar. And spell his scholar, last name. Just make sure people. W e i m a. Yeah. W e i m a. Yep. Um, he's just got resource after resource on reading the Bible well, handling the scriptures well. Super accessible. Great yeah. teacher. Uh, I just can't. Uh, I, I think very highly of him. Very cool. We'll be a par- come be a part of that. Uh, and that's the last weekend of February, Friday night, Saturday morning. Um, and so you want to be a part of that. The And here's what's so cool to me, and I know Roger would agree with this. In diving deep, it isn't just about more knowledge, because if that's the case, then we just contradicted everything we just talked about, because the, the, the greater knowledge of all of our full capacities is what ended up leading to some of those elements that have gotten us in trouble. But knowledge isn't a bad thing. It's just that we can end up in that. So that's not what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is it, it, knowledge isn't just what spiritual depth is about, but what it compels us to do. And so from a disciple-making standpoint, if, if you're in a place where you're like, man, I, I would love to learn more about those messages to the church because he was clearly calling them to engage culture, to be uh, holy as he was holy, to 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 love as he loves, to, to recognize what their mission still was, yeah. and to hold the hope. I mean, that's what he's doing as he sets up that that story yeah. that, that we all uh, either really adore or are kind of afraid of yeah. in Revelation. And, and, and so don't miss the fact that, de- that this diving yeah. deep element, it isn't just about now I know more about the Bible. Right. It's now the Bible is compelling. The, the message yeah. is shaping me and compelling me And this is about to, to come from someone makers. who craves knowledge. Yes. Because you know what I chase and the kind of questions I wrestle with. <laughs> but knowledge without the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and the spiritual vitality to live faithfully in the conviction of the Spirit is nothing but a burden of guilt. Yes. Knowledge without spiritual wisdom brings guilt. Yeah. So it can't stop there. And knowledge without a purpose that I then live on with that knowledge, I think that's what makes us become... Yeah, just a bunch of stuff you can't do. That's exactly right. Yeah. That, and and that, that's what makes us self-absorbed. That's what makes us hoarders of the things that we've been given instead of people who are grateful for it. And. And you think about it, it's a life-giving knowledge that we have of Jesus. 
And so it compels us. And so let's be a part of that. So next episode, we're going to dive into the next message that we're focusing on in this series in our family of churches. And it's in Romans 3, 23 through 26. Again, the the overarching text that this series was built on is John 1, 10 through 13. That's the story of redemption, and that's going to come up next episode. If you have any questions or any thoughts about uh, the things we've talked about today or any rebukes or slanders, because we certainly touched on some uh, possibly touchy subjects and some elements of explaining that Genesis 3 piece, um, please send all of your negative emails to P. Wilkinson at BrentwoodBaptist.com. I crave it. That's right. That's right. And send all your good emails to jdukes at BrentwoodBaptist.com. And we've enjoyed being with you in this episode. And I, I please share it, review it on, on uh, your wherever you listen to your podcasts. I don't say that in any way to benefit me and Paul, is if you think this was helpful, then it's that's a way that the podcast is allowed for other people to be encouraged as disciple makers. So we encourage you to do that. Thanks for joining us for this one. We'll talk to you next time.